morning it is to come together in fellowship, to rejoice together in who God is and what he has done for us as he reveals in his word, and also to sing with our hearts as we think about these realities, um, especially with regards to his word. God has given us his word to know him and to have a relationship with him, to know his will for our lives. And when we go into God's word, we uh, are acquainted more and more each and every day with the will of God for our lives. Amen. Let me take this time to welcome, uh, I see Amos, uh, Amos Musweve. Uh, <laughs> uh, when I was reading his, his surname during the week, I was saying Musvibe, uh, but that sounds nice as well. <laughs> so Amos, um, Amos he has been visiting the Bible study at late for a couple of weeks now, for some time now. Um, so um, get to know him, uh, welcome him. Um, and I see two faces as well, two new faces uh, at the back right there. Can you, uh, yes. Oh, uh, can you introduce yourself, sir? Kolani. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Amen. And I see another lady there. Welcome, brother. Just after after Kolani. Shamane. All right. Okay. Welcome, Shamane. And what's your son's name? Antonio. Okay, Shamane and Antonio, welcome to CBC. May you be blessed as you fellowship with the church, even after, after church. We're going to go into God's word right now. Today we are, um, we are concluding our series on, on uh, the I Am Sayings, Jesus Unveiled, that, that series. We are concluding the last sermon. We are in John chapter 15. And we're going to look at John chapter 15, 1 to 8. And this time we see Jesus Christ as the true vine, the true vine. I'll read from John chapter 15 and from verse 1 until verse 8, and then we'll continue with God's word. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that... Um, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, 
ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. This is God's word. Let us pray. What a wonderful Father you are, Lord. When we draw near to you, we can be confident that you are faithful. Faithful to speak to us from your word, to teach us your ways, to correct us, to reprove us, to rebuke us, and to train us in righteousness that we may be a people that are equipped and ready for every good work. We pray that as we hear your word today, as your word is declared and preached, that you open our minds, O oh God, to receive the truth of your word. You open our hearts to, uh, to delight in it, O oh God, and you give us um, uh, a will, Father, that seeks to be conformed to your will. We pray that your name will be honored even as we draw near to you this morning through the preaching of your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. There, there is so much that we can learn from the animal kingdom. I once, uh, um, what is that, that show, National Geographic? I once heard from National Geographic that elephants are smart animals. They are known for their sharp memory and, and, and being able to, re, to, to remember events that happened years back. And one of the best examples of, of this is that when they approach a tree, a fruit tree, in its season, um, with the prospect of getting something, a little something for the, for the stomach, but only to discover that the tree does not have the necessary fruits that it, it was supposed to have. What they will do, what the elephant will do, is, is it will leave and then come back a year later. And then it, it comes back a year later in the very same season um, in which it came, um, the last season. And as it approaches the tree, if that tree does not have fruit again, what it will do, it will break the tree because the tree is useless. Now in John chapter 15, verse 1 to 8, um, it explains in like nature our relationship with God the Father through Christ Jesus. In John chapter 15, verse 1, Christ gives his seven, his seventh and final uh, I am saying or I am statement. He, he unveils himself here as the true vine. Verse 1, he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. You see, when you look at this passage to, to, to believers, it is, a, it is a wonderful and deep uh, mystic metaphor that Christ uh, reveals here. Christ is the vine or, or the trunk, um, so to say, we, and we are the branches and God the Father is the vine dresser. The picture taken together is that of a vineyard with true believers organically related to Christ. And, and so the, the, the vitality that runs in his veins also runs in the veins of Christians that are connected to Christ. And again, it speaks of God the Father walking among the vines, looking, lovingly caring for them so that they will bring more fruit. When you look at this passage, verse 1 to verse 8, the overriding emphasis of this passage can be summarized in this sentence. Listen to this. 
those who abide in Christ are marked by the life of Christ in them, which is seen when they bear fruits. And those who are not abiding in Christ are marked by fruitlessness, which results in eternal separation between them and God. So when you look at this passage, I want to show you two elements here. Two elements. First of all, the true vine. Jesus Christ revealing himself uh, as the true vine. The true vine and the, 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 the vine dresser. Uh, the first point. The true vine and the vine dresser. And we see that in verse 1 and verse 5. And again, the second element, the branches. So the true vine and the vine dresser and the branches. Let us look at God's word. Um, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. And verse 5, I am the true vine. And, and so when we approach this passage, when we look at what Christ is saying here, he makes it clear that he is the true vine. And so the, 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 the vine imagery that Christ is using here is not a new thing. He's not speaking something that they do not know. The, the, the people that he's speaking to are his disciples. Remember that this is a, a, a discourse that Jesus Christ has been giving to them uh, from chapter 13 now to chapter 15. Chapter 15, this is the last speech that he, he gives to them. And then after chapter 15, he's about to die. This is the last speech before he dies. And so he reminds them of who he is once again and what he has come to do in the lives of of his people. He says, I am the true vine. Uh, when you read something like that, then the question that comes to mind, that the question that must come to mind, if you are a careful Bible reader, you will ask the question, is there a false vine? If Jesus Christ says, I am the true vine. The image of the vine was originally used to refer to Israel. Israel was the vine of God. It belonged to God as the vine. But we, 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 we notice as you read the history of Israel and their relationship with God, how they kept failing God in every circumstance. They, they were a vine that was not bearing the fruits that they were supposed to bear. Let, let me show you from God's word. Isaiah chapter 5. I'll read from verse 7 to... Verse, uh, from verse 1 to, to verse 7. Just listen to, 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 to what God says here with regards to Israel being the vine and, and, and um, the relationship that God had with this vine. From verse 1, Isaiah chapter 5, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard a, a very fat, on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and, and, and planted it with choice vines. But he built, he built a, a, a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked, for it, he looked for it to yield grapes. Listen to this. But it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. 
I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled upon. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hewed. And briars and thorns shall grow up, and I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. You hear this? The vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. So this image originally referred to Israel. And, and, and the Lord, um, what this passage tells us, that the Lord did everything as, as the vine dresser to make sure that this vine produces the necessary fruit. He put it on the choice uh, uh, soil, on, on the best soil that you can ever think of. He, he did everything that is supposed to be done for a vineyard. And, and when he went to it to seek for the fruit of this vine, instead of finding the right fruit, he found what? The wild grapes. Right? And so he explains this white grace by saying he looked for justice, but instead of justice in Israel, there was bloodshed. He, he looked for righteousness, and behold, there was an outcry. It was not producing the right uh, 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 fruits that the Lord was looking for. And so Jesus comes on the scene here, and, 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 and so he reveals himself or unveils himself as the true vine. And that should show you a contrast, right? That Jesus Christ as the true vine is in contrast with the, the vine that was Israel, that failed the Lord, that was unfaithful and fruitless. And when we consider the life of Jesus, we can see how in many ways the, the true vine is the right symbol for our Lord. Think about it. The vine grows from a modest beginning to display great beauty in its leaves and grapes. So also does Jesus overflow with a beautiful character and love. And just as the vine is the source of life in its branches, Jesus is the true vine, the, the source of true and everlasting life for those who believe. Right? In John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And just as the fruit of the vines brings joy and refreshment to the hearts of men, Jesus came to give true joy and spiritual rest to those who are heavy laden and are weary in their hearts. Moreover, the, the, the wine that comes from the vine was the emblem that Jesus used that evening for, for the blood he would shed to cleanse us of our sins. He, he, he used this, this the, the, the fruit of the vine, the, 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 the wine, as, as a symbol of, of what he was about to do for, 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 for his disciples, what he's about to do for the church, that he's about to give his life. And as the true vine, he provides his blood as the source of new life for believers. So this vine imagery is now truly fulfilled in Christ. He is the true vine. But moreover, I want you to think about this, especially in our contemporary context.
context and setting. Jesus is not just the vine in contrast to unfaithful and unfruitful Israel, but he's also the true vine in contrast to what we try to find meaning in outside of Christ, right? We, we try so much to find joy in, 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 in material things. We try so much to find meaning in the things of the world. Think about it. We try to find meaning in a career, right? We, we try to find meaning in, in children, or we try to find meaning in, in family, in, 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 in marriage. And although these things are good in themselves, but when we try to use them to give our lives meaning, we turn them into idols. We turn, we turn them into what they were not meant to be, Right? Instead of finding meaning in Christ, who is the true vine, who, who truly can satisfy our lives, we try to find meaning in things, in objects, in people. And so we turn good things into idols. What we need to know when Jesus reveals himself as the true vine is that he alone is the one who truly gives meaning to our lives. And, and to try to find meaning in, in anything else is to uh, uh, go on a rabbit trail, right? Is, to, is, to, is to, to, to pursue or try to run after the wind. It is useless and vain. So first of all, we see the vine and the vine dresser. But I want you to, what, what I want you to see is... is especially with the rest of the passage here, the branches, the branches. Look at verse 2 until verse 8. We're just going to go with it. Verse 2 until verse 8 of John chapter 15. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear fruit more fruit. Now when we read that passage, what comes to mind or the observation that we have from, from that passage is that Jesus Christ speaks about two types of branches. You see that? There are two types of branches here. And in these branches we see the, the, the ministry of God the Father. That God the Father has a specific ministry in these two branches. And Jesus Christ in verse 1 refers to God the Father as the vine dresser. He's the one who takes care of the vine and so takes care of the branches that are connected to the vine. His ministry is both negative and positive. We're going to see that as we we, 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 we look at this verse clearly. So we see two types of branches. Look, look at the first branch that Jesus speaks about. This is the branch that does not bear fruit. In verse 2, he talks about, he says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Right? So there's this branch that is there. It, it, it's a branch. It, 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 it's there, but it's not doing what it's supposed to be doing. It is not bearing fruit. And so the question, because this is a metaphor, is what is Jesus talking about? What is Jesus referring to? Right? 
Jesus here is referring to counterfeit Christians. These people are professors, but they are not possessors, right? They profess faith, faith in Christ, but they do not possess true faith in Christ. They pretend to be Christians, but never really are united by Christ and in Christ by faith, right? They, 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 when, when you look at these people, they, 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 they look like Christians, right? They speak like Christians. They walk like Christians and, and do, um, in their outside life, you would, you would point to them and say, that's a Christian. But inside, they do not have the life of a true Christian. And a clear indication that this is the case is that in this branch, this branch that Jesus Christ talks about is not bearing fruit. It is not bearing the right fruit. And, and so not bearing fruit is a clear indication that this branch is not truly connected to the vine. The question is, so what kind of branches are connected to Christ without possessing his saving life? The answer to this is nominal Christians. Right? What is a nominal Christian? A nominal Christian is someone who's a traditional Christian. When you ask them a question, are you a Christian? They say, yes, and how do you know? I was born in a Christian family. For, for them, Christianity is an inheritance from their parents. It, is not, uh, it did not come about by repentance from sin and faith in Christ Jesus. These are people that are, 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 are morally good, right? They, 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 they do not do what they consider to be the things of the world. They do not commit adultery or fight with their neighbors. They, they do not steal. They do not do any of those things. But um, even though that they do not do those things, they, are still, uh, they do not still have life in them. They are nominal. They are those who call themselves Christians. They attend church with Christians, they engage in many actions that Christians do, but who nonetheless do not possess the life of Christ through true faith, true and saving faith. They are, as I described, professors, but not possessors. They profess faith, but they do not possess the right faith. And, and the question as we look at this passage is, is what happens to a branch that does not bear fruit? Well, what happens to this branch? Right? We, we, we see, we, we saw that the ministry of the, we see the ministry of the, the vine dresser, right? That to a branch that does not bear fruit, what does he do? He, he in verse 2, he says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Right? He, he uproots it from, from the vine. He removes it from the vine because it is not doing what it's supposed to be doing, right? It does not have the, it shows that it does not have the life that is truly connected to the vine. He takes away. And verse 6 explains even further what verse 2 means, what, what that takes away truly means. Look at verse 6. 
It says, if anyone does not abide in me, <clears throat> he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. We should think very careful about this, right? Counterfeit Christianity can fool a lot of people, right? It, it, it can fool a lot of people. It can fool even uh, 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 theologians. It can fool pastors. It can fool elders. It can fool deacons. It can fool church, fellow church members. It can fool everyone around you, but it cannot fool God. Counterfeit Christianity can be counterfeit in this world. But when we are in the presence of God, on that last day when we stand before God, we will not be able to bribe God. I saw a picture. I don't know if, if this is um, uh, legitimate or if, if this is true. It's, it's um, on a news article. A man died, and so his request when he died is that they should, they should bury him with $6 million. And, and the reason they bury him with $6 million is he, have, he has this idea that when he gets to God, he will be able to bribe his way into heaven. Right? And so this should show you something about this man, that this man has bribed his way through life and has succeeded in everything, in all those things. Maybe he bribed his way into getting uh, big business deals and, and he got them and so he got the money. Maybe he bribed his way when he drove over the speed limit and a traffic cop uh, stopped him and he said, let us talk about Coca-Cola, right? Let's talk about the money, uh, the Coke money. And then so he got away with it. Maybe he, he got away with a lot of things that he convinced himself that if he can get away with it here, then he will get away be with it before God. But it is not so, right? If you are going to bribe God, what are you going to use to bribe God? Are you going to use gold? Are you going to mine all the, all the mines and extract all the gold in this world and try to bribe God? But the Bible that I read says silver and gold belongs to the Lord. God does not need anything to be bribed. So it's very important that we, we, we see the seriousness of the warning that Christ is making here. A counterfeit Christianity can only be counterfeit to an extent. Remember here what is happening in this context. In, in, verse, in, in chapter 13, initially when Jesus gave this speech or this talk that ends in chapter 15, there were 12 disciples with him. There were 12 disciples that were sitting with him and 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 initially they were all listening and and now as he gives this this talk it has been revealed 
that one disciple who walked with Jesus for three years, who saw the miracles of Jesus, who heard the Sermon on the Mount, who heard other sermons of Jesus, who saw Jesus open the eyes of the blind, who saw Jesus heal the, 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 the crippled and, 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 and open the ears of those who could not hear, who saw Jesus doing all these miracles, but yet he left he revealed himself to not be a true follower of Christ, to be a betrayer. I wonder if you're truly a Christian. Don't say, yes, can't you see I come to church? Can't you see that I attend Bible studies? That's not the question I'm asking. I wonder if you're truly connected to Christ by faith by true and saving faith. Jesus speaks about people that will come to him in the last day. These people, when we look at them, in Matthew chapter 7, you, you, you see something about them that they trusted in their own works, in their abilities. They say to him in verse 21, not every, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So, so these people trusted in the fact that they were casting out demons or prophesying or doing many mighty works. Judas was doing the very same thing. Right? Judas was doing the very same thing. When he was with the disciples and they were casting out demons, he was there casting out demons. So we cannot bank on our works. We must bank on what Christ has done for us. Right? So this is the first vine that, I mean, the first branch that we see that Jesus describes here. This is the, the branch that does not bear fruit. Look at the second branch. This is the branch that bears fruit. Verse 2. He says, and every branch, verse 2b, and every branch that does bear, that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit, right? This branch that Jesus talks about is a bearing fruit kind of branch. It, is the, it speaks of the Christian who is growing more and more like Jesus each and every day. A Christian who is experiencing the life of Christ in himself. And so we, we need to, 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 to realize and acknowledge this fact that even though as Christians we often wander away from the Lord, whether it be in our actions, whether it be in our speeches, whether it be in our minds, we often are drawn towards sin we are drawn towards things a lot of times that do not honor the Lord. And so because we belong to the Lord, 
the Lord must continue to do his work in us. Look at what, what uh, Jesus says. He says the ministry of the vine dresser in this branch is to prune it. Right? Is to trim it. So God the Father will not allow his children to fall away. Right? Because he has this ministry in them that he continues faithfully every day. He continues to prune them. He continues to, to work in their lives. And, and think about it. Let me explain this to you in this way. Or with a, with a question like this. How does the father prune you? Right? How does the vine dresser prune you as the branch? And we see here in, in various ways. First of all, he prunes us through the word. Through the word of God. Jesus Christ says in verse 3. Look at verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Verse 3 is intimately connected with the word prune in verse 2. So God uses his word, whether it is the, the preaching of his word. Initially here when he says, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken in you, he speaks about the word that called them to faith, right? The, the word that justified them and continues to sanctify them. So God uses his word as a means of grace to build his people, to prune his people, right? He calls us to repentance in his word. He calls us to faith in his word. He calls us to walk in holiness in his word. So he uses his word to prune us. Again, God uses fellowship to prune us as believers. The gathering together as believers, encouraging one another, correcting one another, singing to the Lord together, right? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 says, Let us consider how to steer up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we are looking at the day that is drawing near, and while we're looking at this day that is drawing near, we have a ministry among each other. Right? That is why we must open our doors as Christians for one another. That is why we must have disciples, discipleship among each other. Where a man takes a young man and say, let me walk with you in this journey and show you what it means to be a godly man. Right? Show you what it means to be a husband. Show you what it means to truly repent when you have sinned. And, and, and so it's very important that we do that. Fellowship builds up the church. Fellowship is, is the, 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 the means of grace that God uses to prune us. And another thing, is trials. God uses trials to prune us. The difficulties that we face, the, the struggles that we go through, they are not there to destroy us. We must, we must have a biblical view of trials. Whatever trial that we experience, whatever trial that we go through, whatever challenge that we, 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 we come across, it is, there to, it is there used by God to, to build us up to grow us, right? And the goal that God is using these things to prune us is that he's using them, the reason that he's using them is that we may bear more fruits, right? 
when you prune a branch, when you prune a branch on a vine, you do it with the expectation that this uh, uh, fruit-bearing branch will bear more fruit, right? This is the same thing that the Father is doing. He's doing it because he wants us to bear fruit. So first of all, he prunes us. And secondly, he calls us as branches to abide in him. Abide in him. The, the, the words abide in me in this passage appear 11 times in 15 verses. And the reputation here indicates to us the importance of these words. It, it is clear, uh, it's clearly important for Christians to understand what it means to abide in Christ. The, the, the Greek word that is used here means to dwell in or to remain. I love what J.C. Riley says. He explains this passage by saying, to abide in Christ means to keep up a habit of constant close communion with him, to be always leaning on him, resting on him, pouring out our hearts on him, and using him as our fountain of life and strength, as our chief companion and best friend, to have his words abiding in us is to keep his sayings and precepts continually before our memories and minds and to make them the guide of our actions and the rule of our daily conduct and behavior. So God uses these things in our lives to, 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 to make us bear more fruit. And so when we abide in him, when we are connected to him, when his life is flowing in our life, we are able to bear more fruit. And again, he uses prayer. And when we are abiding in Christ, when we are truly abiding in Christ, we start to pray according to his will. Right? We start to pray according to his will. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me, he says this, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, this is a very important passage and a passage that can easily be misunderstood, right? He says, ask whatever you wish, and, and one thinks in their mind, and they have all these, this list, this long list of things, Lord. First of all, I want a big and, and fat uh, uh, bank account, right? And secondly, I want a house uh, near a beach, and, and I want all these things. Ask whatever you wish. That is not what Jesus Christ is saying. If, if you understand the, the testimony of God's word, what Jesus Christ is saying here is that when you are truly abiding in him, you will know what his will is and you will pray according to your will. Your wish will be his wishes, right? Because you are truly connected to him. His life is flowing in you. Jesus Christ is not saying, ask whatever you wish. Ask for uh, six lot of numbers. Right? And then it will be done for you. He's not saying that. He says, ask whatever you wish because you're connected to me. So the life of Christ is in the branch. The life of the vine is in the branch. And so that the branch knows the will of the vine. And lastly, the branch that is truly bearing fruit has a desire to glorify God. Right? Has a desire to glorify God. By this my Father is glorified, verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. By this is God honored, 
By this is God glorified and exalted. Is his name seen to be great and his, his fame spreads. Right? This is how he's glorified when you bear fruit. We know what the Bible says about fruit, right? Galatians chapter 5 says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The, 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 the true vine, the, I mean the true branch, the, the branch that is truly connected to the vine seeks to honor God by bearing fruit because in bearing fruit the Father is glorified. In bearing fruit, the Father is honored, right? And let me just um, climb on my hobby horse again. One of the ways we bear fruit is by reaching out to the world, right? By being an out, outgoing church, by being an outreaching church, by being an evangelistic church. That is one of the ways we bear fruit. By making sure that the gospel is spreading, Far and wide. We cannot bear fruit in isolation. Right? We are not some little flock that's trying to self-preserve, waiting for the coming of the Lord. Yes, the church will face great dangers, but Jesus Christ is not saying, get in your safe rooms and hide yourself, right? We must spread the gospel. We must spread the gospel. We must make sure that the, the great commission is imprinted on our hearts. Go and make disciples. This is what glorifies God. Bearing fruits. And one of the ways we bear fruit is by making disciples. Amen. Let us pray. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, your call in your word is clear to abide in you. And so when we abide in you, we bear fruit. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We pray that our hearts will cling to it. Our hearts will seek by the Holy Spirit to walk by it. That we will examine ourselves, whether we are the true branch or the branch that does not bear fruit. And so in examining ourselves, when we find ourselves to be the branch that does not bear fruit, may we find in you a call to repent, to believe the gospel. Help us, Lord, as a church, to honor and glorify you in every way. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen.